Welcome to Cambria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. And uh, let's kick it off with a quick bit of an update on the allegations of fraud in the applications to the Canadian federal government for funding. Now, quick recap, Pride Toronto had raised $1.6 million in grants from Canadian Heritage and Public Safety. And uh, the is that just from them because they also got some municipal grants. And... It's the 1.8 is specifically Canadian Heritage Public. Just Safety. okay, okay. Yeah, and there were three grants in total. Uh, we've talked a lot before, and uh, Dr. Tom Hooper has reported on this widely. There's now mm-hmm. coverage in Extra. The Pride Toronto released the report from their um, their auditor. The no, the consulting firm they worked with, KPMG. Oh right, right, right. And uh, in that report, they said that they couldn't really find evidence that uh, Pride Toronto had achieved particularly any of the deliverables that they had set out to do. Mm-hmm. Pride Toronto rebuffed this, saying they had delivered some deliverables, such as updating their website. That was mm-hmm. a key one they mentioned a couple of times. Um, Anyway, they, they've apologized, you know, generally, uh, but nobody's really addressed the fact that somebody at Pride Toronto uh-huh. faked many letters from the Assembly of First Nations, the 519 mm-hmm. Community Centre, the Toronto uh, Public School Board, you name it, they've probably faked the letter from there. So essentially, they're using fake letters of endorsement to solicit money from the federal government. And Canadian Heritage and uh, the Public Safety have handed over $1.6 million uh, as a result of these fraudulent applications. Mm -hmm. Now, we reached out to a couple of different people to try and find out how the government... um, does this <laughs> like how can you hand out over a million and a half dollars and uh, not check with mm-hmm. anyone so i reached out to the office of the public sector integrity commissioner of canada um side note i watched uh the dropout about um oh, what's Is it a, a movie no it's a, yeah no it's a documentary well it's a it's a fake documentary it's a docudrama i suppose okay. the word is Okay. And it's about um, uh, Theranos and the, the creator behind Theranos and how essentially they just faked this blood testing equipment <gasps> for years. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that, that lady. Yeah, the, the CEO was also the face of the company, was also the inventor, was also the everything. And yeah. that, should have been, that should have been a red flag that she didn't have employees. Because if, if you have employees... Well, she did. They had about 800 at the collapse. Oh. But yeah, she kept all of the equipment a complete secret. Um, I forget where I bring this up. But yes, sorry, in the in the finale of the dropout, the thing that really sunk her was a regulatory body for the Medicare Medicaid insurance provider. Mm-hmm. Like essentially, it's a government body that makes sure there's no fraud mm-hmm. when the government insurance has to pay for something. Mm-hmm. And they had a slow, tedious investigation. And then shut Theranos down. And yep. it was like this bureaucratic, slow process that sunk this billion dollar completely fake company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that is why I reached out to the Office of the Public Sector Integrity Commissioner of Canada. Also, equally, a terribly boring sounding bureaucratic department. Um, unfortunately, they investigate 
wrongdoings that are in contravention of any act of parliament or other legislation, uh, any misuse of public funds or a public asset, and gross mismanagement in the public sector, as well as a serious breach of code of conduct under section five and six. Now, would this count though? Because it's not that they misuse the funds. I mean, they also did that, but uh, allegedly, but you know, we're, we're still uncovering that, but um, it's really that they acquired the funds in the first place through shady means. So would this fall under them or would that just be like the local police's fraud department? You know, it's really hard to say. I think essentially if, if whoever it was had granted the funding without doing the due diligence, then that's, mm -hmm. you know, possibly gross mismanagement or okay. possibly misuse of public funds. Okay. Um, at which point, you know, the the Public Sector Integrity Commission can go in and dig a little deeper. Uh, right. What I'll do is I'll reach out to Tom Hooper and see if on any of his Freedom of Information Acts for that documentation, it says which bureaucrat actually approved it. Um, and maybe we can chase it down that way. Yeah, because it could be a case of uh, uh, because the... Uh, heritage didn't do their due diligence and double check on anything at all uh it's kind of their fault as well for just letting it slide now so you it, might be thinking why am i reaching out to the office of the public sector integrity commissioner of canada yeah and not canadian heritage themselves well you I also did, did that didn't i yeah. also reached out to canadian heritage and about 10 days ago caroline at canadian heritage said, we've received your request. We'll get back to you as soon as possible, mm -hmm. 10 days ago. So I am uh, still waiting for this possibly soonest possible response. Mm -hmm. um, we have nudged them again. And now somebody else has uh, replied saying they're on vacation and someone else will deal with it. But, you know, maybe eventually this, you know, fraudulent application to the tune of 1.6 million will get somewhere with Heritage telling me how the heck did that happen? Yeah. I mean, this is a PR nightmare for them. This is a PR nightmare for basically everyone, um, except for Tom Hooper, because in the end, you know, money to the scale of millions was given to an organization under false pretenses and used under false pretenses. And there are multiple filters to prevent this kind of thing from happening, and none of them caught it. So, I mean, <sighs> partly this frustrates me because, broadly speaking, if you look at the Canadian criminal code, we are really bad at white-collar crime. We don't really convict that many people. There are fraud departments, but we're not really active about chasing things down. When Ponzi schemes get exposed, the chances of getting, like, you're not going to get your money back. There is no mechanism in place to have any form of restitution. You know, the, the, it's almost like the government is saying to the billionaires who stole all your money in a Ponzi scheme, like, good job, well done, you know? You have to go to prison for two years, but you get to keep your money. And it's, I don't know, I find it very frustrating. Uh, actually, I'll say this, because I remember we, you and I were living together during one of the election cycles when Harper got in. And he had this whole tough on crime thing. And I actually remember sitting on the couch, looking at news on my phone and going, oh boy. And you're all like, oh, what is it? And I remember saying like, Stephen Harper says he's going to be tough on crime. And in my mind, I was like, why call it crime? Because there's a whole raft of corruption going on at the time and, and schemes and scandals. And like, 
the 2008 people were still reeling from 2008 and, and no no it wasn't that it was it was um no it was just like drug crime just and low stuff. level misdemeanors yeah. <laughs> yeah i remember all yeah. right well uh let's we'll we will continue 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 to pester poke and provoke canadian heritage into some kind of response Mm-hmm. Um, as we try to figure out how did Pride Toronto get away yeah. with fraudulently applying or with, for applying for 1.6 million um, with false letters of endorsement in their applications. Worst case scenario, you could get some kind of um, class action lawsuit by the GLBT community or LGBTQ community. Or even LGBT just the organizations that were falsely represented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how is that? The community's job no, to launch a class action the, lawsuit. The challenge but... here is the new executive director for Pride Toronto has stated, he told uh, Extra this, yeah. that they are aware, because Tom Hooper pointed it out, they are aware that there were false letters of endorsement from various organizations mm-hmm. uh, forged by Pride Toronto, mm-hmm. or forged by somebody used mm-hmm. by Pride Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um they are aware, but they're not going to name names for what other ones are potentially also fraudulent. Oh my god! So Tom Hooper has checked up on X amount, um, and Pride Toronto doesn't want to fight, doesn't want to let, you know, doesn't want to name names on if anyone else is, because we don't want to re-victimize these organizations that somebody at Pride Toronto victimized the first time round mm-hmm. by faking letters of endorsement. Um, so yeah, we don't know how widespread this is because Pride Toronto doesn't want to re-victimize them and let us know who else they've uh, fraudulently impersonated for grants. I mean, they're lucky we don't have a very thorough white collar crime, you know, legal structure because otherwise they would just be complicit. They they are allowing the situation to persist and they are doing nothing to reverse or prevent it. So I, I don't know. Like it, it's the whole thing is frustrating. It's, it's pretty frustrating. This is kind of a canary in the coal mine situation. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, it's uh, it, it certainly is that in some news, the membership of Pride Toronto have decided to not reappoint their auditor. This mm-hmm. is the same auditor who said that potential fraud from several grants was outside of his remit as an auditor okay Um, essentially the membership decided that the answers to questions about the potential fraud uh was insufficient yep and so pride toronto is now going to have to find a new auditor hopefully somebody who would notice that well we did go through this in in a past episode there's different kinds of auditors and i don't think they hired somebody with forensic auditing under their belt no uh because a forensic auditor would have caught this but they're a little bit more expensive so Harder to find too, but also around January 25th, 26th, uh, I think at one of the AGMs, the membership wanted to really know what is going on. And they asked uh, Pride Toronto to reveal the uh, just away the non disclosure uh, agreements, the current Pride Toronto board have consulted with their lawyers regarding the motion. And they have found that a member of a corporation such as theirs does not have the ability to require the cooperation or to waive non-disclosure from confidentiality agreements. Mm. Um, Their statement goes on to say, on that basis, Pride Toronto has not released, nor does it anticipate releasing current 
and or former board members or staff from non-disclosure or confidentiality agreements or other legal obligations of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. So even if the, let's just say, former executive director at the time of all of these fraudulent grant applications Mm -hmm. was to come forward and talk about how and if or why these fraudulent grant grant applications were put in, um, they are still bound by Toronto's non-disclosure agreements. So Hmm. I'm proud Toronto has no intention of lifting them. There's probably a caveat in there about criminal investigation, but we'll cross that bridge if and when we get there. Absolutely. Well, we will keep an eye on this mess, which Uh is part of Toronto. (laughs) Um, This, some choice is purely a coincidence, and I I don't mean that to be coy. Uh, This is Red Flags, the radio edit by CJ Cooper. We will be back just after this. You, you were trouble. Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And 
earlier this week, or for people listening uh, last week, uh-huh. we were following the terrible news out of uh, Sligo, Ireland. Um, I mean, really quite horrific. There was a there were two murders and mm-hmm. a third brutal attack against, uh, we believe, openly gay men in Sligo, Ireland, uh, who who were both murdered in their homes. Um, Aidan Moffitt and Michael Snee, um, both men had been killed in their own homes, and I believe Monday and and possibly Tuesday, or maybe even still Monday, not sure exactly when um, Michael Snee was killed. Um, the man, the police, the, the Garda in, in Ireland believe is responsible, um, has been arrested and uh, did appear before court uh, just before we hit uh, broadcast or recording for today's show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been quite uh, horrific. Um, we're not going to mention who it is that's been accused of this. Um, but he has been accused of two murders as well as a, a separate assault. Um, yeah, it was quite, uh, quite um, like I said, horrific. Mr. Snee, who was 58, Mr. Forty, uh, Mr. Moffitt, who was 42, uh, were found in the Catron Heights home, um, as well as uh, Connaughton Road. So if anyone here knows Sligo, then they may be familiar with these places. Uh, Ireland's not really not really a home to 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 murder and intrigue it's they have one of the lowest murder rates in the in the world you know do they really well yeah it's it's quite unknown outside of the major urban centers oh wow it's very uh it's been very shocking um we saw that um droves of people um, a large number of people came out uh, earlier in the week in a uh, vigil uh, for the two men that had been murdered. Um, and the community there has been shocked. You know, just before the man was arrested, um, there was a lot of reporting about the fact that, you know, gay people in Ireland were thinking, you know, these are two men that were murdered in their own homes. Mm-hmm. How, how can you be safe? if someone who is gay is killed in their own home for no apparent reason. There was no apparent connection between these two men other than their sexuality. Um, So yeah, it's certainly quite uh, unnerving to say the very least for the the gay community in Ireland, especially in Sligo. did you see much of this story, Sebastian? I did not. I'm 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 not gonna lie. I've uh, I've been poking around for a while, and mostly I've been. I mean, this is this is one of the reasons why we exist. That the queer media in general is more concerned about Lady Gaga's new shoes than it is about actual current events. Um, so I've not found much on this that you haven't already reported. Uh, but I will say that some of the details kind of remind me of. Um, so here in Ottawa, there is the famous uh, Alain, Alain Boisseau. Uh, yeah, Boisseau uh, case from 87, I believe. Um, but what tends to get forgotten is that on that night, the people who murdered Alain Boisseau were also on a crime spree. And they also did a B&E that was very similar to the one that happened in LIGO. And uh, I actually have access to the uh, Ottawa Police Archives with regards to, to this event. And the description, it sounds like that scene halfway through um, A Clockwork Orange where they do the home invasion. It was, it was just gruesome. And they did it because 
it was a Saturday night. They were bored and they found someone's wallet and they just went to the address and it, it was random and violent and it was just grim. Uh, and it feels kind of like this, uh, the, the incident in Ireland and randomness like this is in a way less scary and in another way, way more scary because, because it has no meaning, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, it, at least if it's something like it was outright homophobia, now you can deal with it. If it had something, if it was personal, you can sort of wave it off as being, well, that was between them and, you know, I'll, I, I don't deal with shady characters or whatever, but it's the randomness that makes it both scary, but also because this ha hasn't happened in such a long time, you could say this is just a once in a generation incident. I don't know. It's it's peculiar. I don't think this is the kind of thing a community can get over quickly. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's going to be an incredible challenge. Keep moving forward. I think that's mm -hmm. uh, that's the real uh, struggle now. Um, yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, Sligo Pride and uh, others have really really stressed the importance for the gay community to take their own safety incredibly seriously mm -hmm. um you know the the police the garda in in uh, in in uh, uh were looking into whether or not this was potentially linked to uh, mobile dating apps so these mm -hmm. two men who lived alone in separate homes two separate homes uh, were violently attacked and, and then uh, ultimately murdered. And a third person has been attacked. Um, so there is a worry that uh, potentially these were linked to uh, apps such as Grindr. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen it. There was the um, Stephen Port, I think his name, in, in, uh, in London killed many people. Mm -hmm. um, and there are cases all across the world of uh, LGBT folks being targeted through their apps. Yeah. All we can really say is, you know, this is this is horrific. I'm glad someone has been caught quickly for this. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, it's the right person that was caught. Yeah. Um, and that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. But uh, we can only really stress as we come out of this pandemic, as we spend more time with other humans. Mm -hmm. Um, not all, you know, not all people are 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 kind-hearted and there are there are those in the extreme um and just be safe you mm -hmm. know and and let people know if someone's coming to visit let's let people know if you're going to visit someone uh, uh in their house just to let people know where you are should the the worst happen and you you go missing or be unavailable then mm -hmm. uh, people have a bit of an idea take your your safety really seriously you know sebastian is this a, a back of mind concern for you, your safety? Are, are you on the apps? I am incredibly uncomfortable with the idea of going over to a stranger's house or having a stranger coming over to my house. I The few times in the past where I have tried online dating, um, with only a couple exceptions that halfway through the, the incident, I remember thinking like, I think this is a bad idea. Uh, but broadly speaking, I meet people at coffee shops, I meet people in public spaces, and if somebody gives me a Nikki vibe, uh, then I, I finish my cup of coffee, I don't want to be rude, but I also don't let them follow me home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, you always reserve the right to say no at any point. So you should never feel pressured into doing anything. And one of the 
best ways to do that is to not put yourself in an environment where that that pressure is there. Because if you're at a coffee shop, then it's fine, you know. Absolutely. So it's and part of it is motivated by the fact that I am a co-host on the show and we regularly report. Oh, we see the worst, you know. Yeah. When and that I think you're right. I think we. We see the best of the news, but we see the worst of the news. And it's, we don't even report yeah. every story because uh, for some reason, it's really big in the Chicago area. I, I've read a lot of stories like this from, from the Chicago area of people using apps to attack each other. Some of it's sort of drug, tri- uh, drug crime. They, they corner each other in an alley and steal their wallet, that kind of thing. Um, nobody gets hurt. They just get really spooked. And having somebody target you through an app to steal your wallet is not... That's not great. That means no. you, you walk away unharmed, but that doesn't mean you walk away fine. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to lie that it has made the, the world of dating a little bit more. And really, the apps are garbage anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I am not uh, as, as weary of spending an evening with a gentleman as, as maybe you are. Mm. Um, uh, you did refer to me as Mr. Beltbuckle when uh, when we live together, and, and there's different reasons. Yes, for that. yes, um, yeah. So let's just say I I met more people. I'm just mm-hmm. going to say that I met more people. Yes, and uh, had no no such inhibitions with the with the you know meeting people online. But that was then, and yeah. uh, we have covered many serial killers <laughs> since <laughs> since those heady days of uh, of uh, you know the sort of laissez faire attitude. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if it was a situation now where I would be looking to, you can't close yourself off. You know, I'm not suggesting to our listeners out there who are maybe uh, dating or single or want to get out and have a, you know, have some fun, mm-hmm. as is known to happen in the gay community. You mm-hmm. know, we're not saying don't do that, but uh, just take reasonable, sensible measures to protect your Actually, own uh, security. The number one barrier that that I put up is uh, I expect somebody to have a conversation about something other than sex or dating or meeting up on the apps. Just what is your favorite movie? Do you drink coffee? Something simple like that. And they just need to produce five grammatically complete sentences in this heavy quotation marks conversation, because I don't think a serial killer is going to take the time. I think they're just going to go through until they get somebody who's willing to, to meet up. And that extra two minutes of having to type out like uh, uh, yes, I think Nicolas Cage is underrated. Like that's all that I want, and and that alone, like that is, that is an amazing barrier. The number of people who give up after that, and it's like, well, if you're not willing to talk about that, like I don't think you could put up with me in general, for one. <laughs> um, but like, it it's not much, but just the the kind of person who's like, just give me your picture, tell me your address, I will come over. That's that's. People who are unsafe probably slot into that, you know, because there are so many people out there who would just say, yeah, fine, come on over. Like the the apps are, are, are low hanging fruit in terms of being able to find people. And if you make yourself at least on the second lowest branch, then they're going to just move on. Broadly speaking, it's hard to tell, but I mean, make, make yourself a moving target at least, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's really all we can all we can hope for is uh, that those listening, you can you know take a brief moment if mm-hmm. you're out dating people or or meeting up for 
mutual entertainment mm-hmm. um, that someone knows where you are someone yep. knows what to expect and someone yep. knows the timeline quick text to your best friend or your mother or whoever fyi going here fyi someone coming over just so that more than you know mm-hmm. what's happening that's really the, the the crux of it or if you're in an apartment with thin walls kindly explain to your neighbor by the way broadly speaking i am not a screamer if somebody comes over <laughs> and you hear yelling, that's not me having a good time. So, you know, that that little things like that, just the neighbor knowing when to call 911, that gets you pretty far as well. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's change subject from the murders in Sligo um, being taken advantage of on apps mm. and uh, conversations with grammatical sentences. Let's move on to something <laughs> a bit more lighthearted than that uh-huh do you remember the city of ridgeland we've talked about this before in particular we've also mentioned mayor jean mckee uh of the uh, city of ridgeland and uh, in madison county and he went to war over a hundred and ten thousand in funding that was designated for the uh, Madison County library system. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you recall this story? I do now, now that you sparked my memory. Absolutely. Now, he had issues with uh, items of the books and materials um, of a homosexual nature, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it was. Um, so, yeah, complaints. Uh, about material being displayed in the library, which he thought was inappropriate for children. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was homosexual content in the library, heaven forbid. Good and uh, he uh, polled access to 110,000. That was critical for key services from that library. Now, the friends of Ridgeland Library um, then looked to raise some money to kind of stopgap whilst they squabbled with the mayor over access to the funding that he can't really block, but Mm -hmm. he did so anyway. And uh, that's where the furry community comes in. Mm -hmm. Quick recap for our listeners, Sebastian, what are the furry community? Ooh, oh God. There's there's a two-hour documentary on this, and it is hard to summarize. But broadly speaking, it is... um... Uh, sort of a, a, a role-playing activity. Well, I mean, you've got the people who role-play by dressing up in furry costumes. So they, they look like blue giant foxes, animals. giant animals. Uh, and then you've got the sort of furry appreciator uh, community. Uh, I think they used to be called the Funny Animal Appreciation Society. But anyway, just people who like Mickey Mouse and like anthropomorphized animals. And it's kind of, it, it comes out of classical animation, but there's multiple branches to this. But anyway... Uh, within the you know LGBTQ context, it is a sort of a micro community within the community, mostly gay and bisexual men, but not entirely gay and bisexual men. And yeah, they they dress up in furry outfits, and ostensibly it's not sexual, but they have a reputation. Um, but a large a large part of it is uh, role play, uh, taking on a caricature. I know people who are for actually you and I both know people who are furries, and they are. They have like crippling social anxiety, but the mm-hmm. the persona that they put on or the fursona that they they put on uh, allows them to sort of like it's sort of a, a way of mitigating their social anxiety through a caricature who does not have social anxiety. So part of it is actually quite healthy in a roundabout way. 
That's my answer. Well, they had decided that it was ridiculous that this mayor, who had a bee in his bonnet, would mm-hmm. insist on a library purging all LGBT material mm-hmm. before he handed over money that he's supposed to hand over anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, they tried to raise 10000 okay. which is a, a, a very reasonable goal. Um, and uh, they, then, they then raised... A hundred and twelve thousand dollars in mm-hmm. two months, and most of that money came from the furry community. Yep, I, now, I believe it. According to the library uh, in question, they reckon that money could have helped them uh, carry over until September. Mm-hmm. Um, a lawyer for the city of Richmond, uh, Richmond, sorry, uh, at the end of these protracted negotiations over the mayor's ridiculous stance mm-hmm. and uh, the library system, um, the, mayor, the lawyer for the city has essentially said that the, the mayor cannot dictate what is in the library mm-hmm. um, and uh, who has access to what in the library. Um, so it's beyond his authority anyway. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. We're really glad that the library system didn't just roll over mm-hmm. for this particular mayor um, but we are aware that uh, others have you know mm-hmm. access to funding municipal funding if you get a particularly pernicious person elected um, yep. especially in the united states uh, they pull the the levers on funding and and access to literature does uh, move with it mm-hmm. well long story short the furries raised one hundred twelve thousand. The uh, Madison County Library System will also get the 110000 that the mayor erroneously tried to withhold from the library for the last uh, little while. Mm. Um, and at the end of it, everyone gets access to good books. So that's uh, good news, I suppose. So friend of the show, Jess, uh, used to be a co-worker with somebody who designed uh, for fursuits. And they range in price from $800 to about 12,000. The 12,000 ones have like articulating bases with like puppetry stuff on the inside. Oh, wow. Like, like dark crystal level of quality. Um, so not all furries have money, but a lot of furries have money. So none, nothing about this story surprises me. All right, let's jump to Talk to Me by Dump Babes, and we will be back just after this.
welcome back to Can't We, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. I'm Sebastian. Now, I don't want to dive into the, just the con, the massive onslaught on trans people being able to just live their lives. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, Canada has broadly avoided most of this. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I like to quote, uh, you know, one of my favorite BC Human Rights Tribunal <laughs> decisions. Uh, I'll be honest, I've only read one or two, so it's quite easy to have a favorite out of two, um, where essentially the, the tribunal member said that trans existence, you know, trans people aren't up for debate in mm-hmm. Canada. We have assessed the science, we've assessed the reality. Trans people exist. They are, you know, trans women and women and so on and so forth. And being trans is not duplicitous and all of these other things that come up. So we know that in Canada, mm-hmm. thankfully, broadly speaking, Canadian trans folks have the same levels of respect and access and services that everybody else have access to. Okay. Thankfully. Now, in the United States, we're seeing a massive war on trans people being able to do normal everyday activities. Um, and we're starting to see it creep up in London, in the UK as well, in Britain. Now, it's worth noting that the Conservative government in Britain is up to its eyeballs in scandals. Oh, yes. Um, both the Prime Minister and the Treasury Secretary, the two highest ranking officials in the British government, were both issued fixed penalty fines, which is an, uh, a section, a technically a breaking of the law. Oh. And by parliamentary standards, they both should have resigned and have both refused to do so. So in the middle of all that, the Conservative Party of uh, Great Britain is pointing at trans people going like, oh my gosh, look over here. And certainly don't look at the fact that the Metropolitan Police just find them. So with that context in mind, I wanted to talk to you about uh, an um, edict that has essentially been issued by the British government to the police services in England and Wales where they have to record the trans victims of crime by the sex record on their birth certificate. That's the new decision. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. Having accurate legal information is important Mm -hmm. in a court of law. That's going to become very, you know, very important to to, to have. Yeah. It's... The self-perception and the perception of others, when they come into conflict, you do get, quite often, you get crime incidents. So, I mean, going back again to Nathan Bosseau here in Ottawa, um, he, as far as we know, identified as a straight man. Everybody who knew him thought uh, knew him as a heterosexual male, but he was perceived as being gay because it was the 80s and he had amazing hair. But so did everybody who liked The Cure. So being perceived as gay got him killed and if you are a a victim of crime and you are trans identified you can identify as male or female but if your attacker perceives you as being female or male that that could be a part of the motivation you have you know cisgendered heterosexual men who are just liberal with how they dress for being perceived as trans and attacked so the idea of being perceived a certain way and being attacked as such should be in the documentation. But when they record your name as like the legal documentation of the following person, 
was assaulted, that portion of it should be what is on your ID. And you have been able to update your ID in the UK since I think like 2012 or something. And that was, you could do it before then, but that's when they streamlined it to be like a 20 pound fee. So it, it's to say like when you're collecting statements from people saying, um, you know, I attacked him or I saw that person attack him, but the victim is a trans woman, uh, that information is pertinent. Uh, but when you're actually filling out the paperwork, the, the name and sex of the victim, actually, I think they, they do sex and gender separately in the UK. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the name and the, the gender of the victim should be a reflection of their legal documentation and how they want to be represented by the courts. The Even legal if the legal documentation they have at the time, the new okay. guidance is saying it needs to reflect your birth certificate. Mm. So if you've got a woman, and we all know certain women out there who are a touch on the manly side, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, from 30 paces, you're like, Steve, Sue, I am so sorry, Sue. I uh, you know, we, we all know women of such a such a look, and uh right mm-hmm. now. If that woman doesn't have a birth certificate on her, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, the police can demand that identity documentation because someone looks a bit trans. Yeah. And it's absolutely obscene. Mm-hmm. It is now entirely under this recommended guidance in Britain, up to the discretion of the police as to how transish you look mm-hmm. and whether or not you should demand access to their birth certificate. It is ridiculous mm. absolute ridiculous policing i mean if anything else they should go with your current I- identification because that's how they find you i mean your your, your social is attached to that your, your tax records your bank accounts if they want to find you if you up and leave then they can track you through your bank records so the most up-to-date legal representation of you in paperwork format it just it's easier to find you you know, and, and this is for both the the uh, the victims and the attackers. You know that there's a lot of benefit to this. I mean, you you could you could legally change your name. I mean, I think I've mentioned this before, but my brother had to legally change his name because he used to have the exact same birth certificate name as uh, somebody with dozens of warrants out on him, and it made it impossible to get like a bank account stuff. Because took five months to prove he was in every time he did a security check. But anyway. Um, if anything else, they should go with your current paperwork because that's how you're identified by the system. Now, to go even further, in Britain, if the police ask you to identify yourself, you are legally mm. obligated to show your address okay. and the name you are currently using. Okay. End of list. Yep, yep, yep. You do not need to provide your birth certificate. No. If yeah. you are a suspect... If you are detained, mm-hmm. if you are arrested at no point in British legal system, and you require to hand over your birth certificate, also yeah. I don't even know where mine is. To to you know to do you know where yours is? You you're moving soon, so I assume maybe, you found it recently. I think I maybe no, I don't know, but I mean, <laughs> I we've been over this multiple times. Every time this comes up, I keep saying the same thing that birth certificates being both. A, a medical record of your coming into existence and also your citizenship record being both at the same time is what's causing this problem. If it's a medical record and you say that should not be alterable, it's a medical record, it is what it is, but your record of citizenship 
you should be able to alter that. People alter their, their name for all sorts of reasons. You know, maybe they get married. Maybe they just don't like their name. Uh, uh, my, my mother's name is Lynn, but they kept calling her Linda. So she hyphenated her name to Lynn Marie. So people, they would cut that off at the knees. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that was, it was simply, she just legally updated her document, her documents, put a hyphen in there and that's it. But it's, that's her legal name now. So it doesn't matter what her birth certificate says. That's her legal name. That's in every single record of her existence there is beyond the birth certificate. And I think putting both of these things under the same paperwork is just, I mean, this is kind of revealing it as, as being stupid. I mean, all sorts it's, of things. This, this will really put a bee in your bonnet. Um, anti-trans hate crimes in the United Kingdom have gone up 332% over the past five years, there is a mm-hmm. massive um, culture attack on people, trans people who are just trying to carry on with their lives. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, how are we going to know trans crime rates if the police are demanding birth certificate assigned sex at birth, mm-hmm. which will statistically eradicate the recording of trans people? Yep. So how do we know if they are still disproportionately victims of sexual assault, mm-hmm. if they are still disproportionately victims of domestic and intimate partner violence, mm-hmm. or disproportionate victims of physical assault, mm-hmm. if we're not allowed to capture that data because I, everyone has to have their birth certificate in the back pocket. And you and I are big lovers of data. It's more you than are, just- you are You are horny for data. I am, I am, I am moist for data, and it's not just a matter of capturing that data, but you could also do things like do geographical pinpointing. You know, like uh, there are seven hundred more attacks on uh, on trans people this year relative to last year, including verbal assault and whatnot. But for some reason, it's all in, I don't know, the Nottingham region. Like you've got a problem. It might be the same people. You know, that this kind of stuff is more than just a convenience. It's a way of crime prevention. Like the some of this this data capture is a way of being able to identify maybe there's something organized or systemic or just two or three bad people who mm. every weekend go out and and you know just do an event out of it, which is what used to happen here in Canada. It used to be every weekend there'd be the same people out looking for someone to beat up. So it could be as simple as that. And that kind of data is important. It really is. And this this movie is is ridiculous. And it's also bad policing. Mm. You know, I remember when I was on the LGBT liaison committee for the Ottawa Police Service, and and you also uh, participated in work for that committee. And the best standard, we we fought for a a long time Mm -hmm. to allow their data management system, when they stop and talk to somebody, to record preferred genders. Yeah. Because you got police interactions with people where one day they're a, a, a sir, according to the police, the next day they're a madam by the police. Mm-hmm. And depending on if you're looking particularly effeminate or particularly masculine, anyway, if you've got a mask yep. on and a big and a big um, hooded coat, who knows yep. what you are under there? Yep, and yep. every interaction with the police was a roll of the dice as to what gender identity they were going to be. And it even beyond that, like just, there were there were police who are against this, even police who are like trans skeptical because they're like, first of all, I just want 
whatever documentation makes it easier for me to track you down if I need further questions. Secondly, this is bigger than the transition. You get things like, you know, there'll be a case where they collect somebody's official ID and it'll be like, say, like there's a huge Vietnamese community here in Ottawa. So they record the Vietnamese name, but every single person they know knows them as Johnny Hu. You know, so they go around, they, there's, they're asking Vietnamese name, do you know anything about the attack on this person? They say no, because in fact, in their mind, it was, you know, Johnny Hu that, that, that got attacked. And then who is actually a, a, a surname, but anyway, not who WHO, it's not related to the doctor, yeah. but anyway, yeah. it's, this is one of those things where it's, this is a big issue. It, it's, a, this is another canary in the coal mine situation where you know, the, the trans community is being particularly affected by this, but they're not the only ones being affected but by this. What, this is a broader issue. Me is there is no gosh darn good reason, and those aren't the words I'd like to say, uh -huh. there is no gosh darn good reason why it is needs to happen. It, mm. it, it is absolutely obscene, because frankly, we have been told by police who are policing trans folks mm. that if every time you start an interaction by peeving them off, yeah, how is that interaction supposed to go well? Exactly. And you know, and how are you supposed to get anywhere if the first thing you do is demand their birth certificate? Like yeah. how how is that effective community policing? Currently in Ontario, you would list that under the aliases section, but the aliases section doesn't come up automatically when you look at somebody's record. And the aliases section is for like crime aliases, like Johnny Knuckles or something, you know, like mm -hmm. Timmy the Knife. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it, it's not, it's not also known as, you know, because they got remarried or because, you know, they're, they're an immigrant. They took a, a Western name because they got sick and tired of trying to get people to pronounce the name properly. Uh, the alias section, and it's not on the front screen. You have to like click into it to see that. And there were police who were complaining about that. Again, it's bigger than the trans issue. So they're just, it's, it's really interesting seeing police being like, you know, just for the sake of good policing and good investigation work and being able to get the, uh, get out there and do my job. Like this is not just a trans issue. It's just that they are universally affected by something that's bigger than them. Well, the right now in the United Kingdom, this is just guidance. I strongly mm. hope that police services across the country promptly ignore this guidance. <laughs> they, um, they might, they might. But there is a chance that it could become mandatory in 2023 um, if the Home Office continues to pursue it. Mm. You know, I went to the International LGBT Policing Conference in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and uh, I met you know, police representation from across the United Kingdom there. Mm -hmm. And they are desperately trying to improve their relationship with the LGBT community, build up yeah. a bit of trust. Yeah. Um, and this is just undermining it. But it's not this time the police. Mm -hmm. It's the conservative government up to its eyeballs in scandals in Britain, mm -hmm. desperately pointing a finger at anyone else to distract themselves from the trouble that they're in. Well, mm. let's uh, let's see how that develops. But I believe we have run out of time. We appear to have, yes. All and right. I didn't even have time to ask you about your new job. Yes, uh, this week can... is my 
It's we can better next week. It's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'll ask you next week. <laughs> next week's better. Actually, in two weeks, I would have started the new job. So that would be oh. <laughs> that would be the best time for me to tell you about it. All right. We're playing out with Fool Me by Melo Halo. And uh, I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. No regrets.